We are in this series called Counterformed. And today I get to talk to you about prayer. And when I first like kind of saw our schedule and that it was coming up that I was gonna get to talk about prayer, I felt a little bit overwhelmed, if I'm honest, because prayer is a really big topic. And there's so many things that we could say and we could talk about when it comes to prayer. But today I wanna keep it super simple and just talk about the heart of prayer and how it is used to counterform us into the image of Christ. And so jumping off of Pastor Andrew's messages from the last couple of weeks, just a couple of thoughts to bring you up to date because I know I meet new people here every single week. Every week I'm meeting new people. And if we've never met before, my name's Brenda, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is our honor to serve you whenever you come in here. If you're just visiting for one Sunday or if you're thinking about coming here regularly. We're happy to have you here with us. We hope that you enjoy worshiping with us and coming in to our space. You are welcome here. But I meet new people every week and when we're in a series, it may be hard if we're referring to previous weeks and you haven't been here, that's okay. This series called Counterformed is all about the spiritual practices and disciplines that form us into the character of God. All throughout scripture, we are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. Or, um, you know, it's said in a few different ways throughout the New Testament being shaped into that image of God, allowing the image of God to be seen in us. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. And last week, Pastor Andrew kind of started us off by talking about scripture or the word of God and how we are to bring ourselves under it in submission to it so that it can form us, so that it can work in us and in our lives. If you were here and you remember that message. And as I was growing up as a little girl, the message to me constantly that I heard in Sunday school and in church was read your Bible and pray read and pray, read and pray, right? Anyone who's been in church for any amount of time, you've heard this over and over and over. Read and pray, read and pray. Why? Because these are two spiritual pillars for our lives in Christ. When we read the Bible, we read the truth of the word of God. We read his uh perspective about us and on life and the world that we live in. And so when we receive the truth, prayer helps us to apply it and to meditate on it and live in it. And so the two go hand in hand, read and pray, read and pray, read and pray. And these are the disciplines or spiritual practices that we keep bringing ourselves back to. We get caught up and distracted by life, things are going on, and what do we do? We say, I gotta get back to my Bible and I gotta get back to prayer, right? We bring ourselves back, these are like anchors for our spiritual life, and they are the starting place for how we grow to be more like Christ. This series is kind of subtitled, The Jesus Model. You see that on the sides there. That's because Jesus is our ultimate example for life and how to live. 
And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he also submitted himself to scripture. You think of when he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted, he submitted himself. His response was scripture. It was truth. It was the word of God. He submitted himself to the word and allowed it to shape and form him, allowed it to work in his life, allowed himself to walk under it as though it was the will for his life, which it was. Jesus submitted himself to scripture. And so, as we learned last week, we do that as well. We submit ourselves to the truth of scripture and allow it, we stand under it and allow it to speak over our lives. When it comes to prayer, Jesus modeled a life of prayer for us. And I wanna start off by reading a few scriptures just to give us a little bit of an idea, a little bit of a glimpse into the prayer life that Jesus had. In Mark 1.35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 22.39. This is just after um, the Last Supper. Um, so this was an evening thing, an after-dinner thing. It says, Jesus went out as usual, or some um, translations will say, as was his habit or ha as was his custom. The word in the original Greek means something that you habitually do, a routine in your life. So as was his habit after dinner, he went out to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And we know that's when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. Luke 11, one says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And I'm gonna come back to that in a sec. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. So a couple of notes from these scriptures alone. If you look in the gospels and you just even like go into Bible Hub or Google and put in Jesus and pray, and you'll get a ton of scriptures where Jesus took time to pray. It often says that he um, pulled away from the crowds. He went to the mountainside or he went in a boat out on the lake because he needed to pull himself away from the noise and the distractions of the world and realign himself with the Father. And if Jesus needed to do that and set that example for us, how much more do we need to do that in our world today? How much more do we need to pull away from every distraction and voice and responsibility and thing that would pull us away from the presence of God, get ourselves in a solitary place or a certain place and get alone with him. The reason that Jesus did this is the same reason that we need to do it because he wanted to walk in submission to the will of the Father, so he needed to know the will of the Father. He needed the Father to speak to him. He needed to know what the Father was doing, hear what the Father was speaking. He needed to, to know what that was and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to then walk that out. We see this rhythm in Jesus' life, often before and after intense times of ministry, he would pull away from the crowds. He would go into solitude and pray. You'll see recorded in scripture how he like healed people and encountered people and preached a message and then he pulled away. And then he steps back out and he heals people and he preaches more messages and then he pulls away. It was a rhythm in his life because he needed to 
do it for himself, but he also is showing us this model of how to step out of our place of prayer and and do all the things we need to do and serve and minister to the people around us. But we also need to step back and be refilled and, and realigned in that place with God. This is a rhythm for life. Also noting in those scriptures that Jesus was, had this habit or routine of praying both early in the morning and at night before he went to bed. If you don't have a great prayer routine in your life, there's one to consider right there. Early in the morning before anyone else gets up and at the end of your day before you go to bed. What a better way to bookend everything that you do than in the presence of God, just submitting and surrendering everything to him, asking for his help and his leadership in your day, at the end of the day, giving it all back to him. These are regular rhythms that we can adopt from what we see in Jesus' life. He talked about solitary places or certain places. Do you know that places can um, be saturated with the presence of God, just like people can. When you look at the story in the book of Acts about Pentecost, it says that the Holy Spirit filled the room before it filled the people, before he filled the people. He filled the space before he filled the people's lives. And so there are spaces that can actually be saturated in the presence of God. You may have a space like this that you're familiar with. If you are one of those people who gets up early and prays in the same place every day, maybe it's your favorite chair in the living room or maybe it is in your car. These are places that we know as soon as we get there, we come to prayer. I have a chair in my house like that. It's the place, the little room. It's, oh, this is a great idea, by the way. When um, my older kids moved out, turn their room into a prayer room. This is awesome, right? I've got a little chair in there. It's all set up nicely. And, and I sit there every day. And it's come to the point after years and years and years of, of sitting, not years and years, okay, it's been about three years that I've had this space and this chair. When I come there, it's like, it's like the, the atmosphere in that place is already saturated with the presence of God. And I come into it and it is a time of prayer. The ancient fathers of our faith called this thin places. Places where the veil between heaven and earth is so thin that when you get there, you can almost like touch heaven. It's so, it's so palpable. It's so close. These are thin places. You may have a thin place that you know of. Yep, every time I I do this or I go to that chair, I sit in that car, that's a thin place for me. The place where the presence of God is already there and we just come into it. I have a thin place like that. That was a total bunny trail. I have to come back and see what I was actually supposed to say. Um, So the disciples, oh yeah, in this last scripture that I read, the disciples are asking, Jesus, teach us how to pray. So there was something about Jesus' prayer life that was unique to them. Now, the disciples were Jewish men. So they would have been praying and around prayer their whole life when they went to the temple, in their homes. Their lives would have been saturated with prayer. But there was something different about the way Jesus prayed. That they came to him one day after he finished praying and they said, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray how to pray like that. Like, it's like, you know, God, can you teach us how to pray like that? And Jesus did. He gave them the Lord's prayer. We'll talk about that 
in a second. But there was something about the way Jesus prayed that the disciples were able to pick up from him. And when they launched the early church, all of Acts is saturated again in prayer. That launch of the early church, that movement of the early church was saturated in prayer. They kept coming back to the place of prayer. One of my favorite ones is recorded in Acts chapter four, where a couple of them had been arrested and they had been you know, put in front of what was called the San- Sanhedrin, the, the leaders of the day, and they get released. What do they do? I would have been going, God, protect me, keep me safe, keep me out of prison. They were like, give us more boldness. That's what they prayed for. Give us more boldness to preach your word. That early church movement was so saturated in prayer. I think that's why they saw so many healings and miracles and things happening, like walking by and people just getting healed by your shadow because every part of their their world was saturated in prayer. They had picked that up from Jesus. They had learned that from him. And we read in Paul's letters and and to the church and Paul's encouragements to the church, he weaves in and out of prayer effortlessly in his writings. He begins some of them with, I've been praying for you, or I pray for you always, he says, to the churches. And as he's teaching them about God's love in Ephesians, he says, for this reason, I fall to my knees and I pray for you that you would know God's love because I know it and I've experienced it. I'm trying to tell you about it. But for this reason, I fall to my knee and I pray that you would know it and experience it because it's so awesome. I want you to. So we see his writings weave in and out of prayer effortlessly. It must have been such an important part of Paul's life. And when we join our voices in prayer, we join with generations and generations of Christians who have raised their voices to a listening God. And we come into agreement with them. Do you know that prayers don't expire? There's a quote from Abraham Lincoln that I love. He said, I remember my mother's prayers and I cling to them all the days of my life. I remember my mother's prayers. When I was a little girl, my mom was quite the prayer warrior. She was a quiet woman. You would never, you know, it would have been so hard for her to stand on a platform. That was my dad's job. That's where I get maybe those skills and stuff from, those gifts. My mom was a very quiet woman, but she was a warrior in prayer. And I remember coming home from school as a little, little girl and hearing her pray. And she would be face down on the couch in the living room interceding. And I would know not to disturb her, but I would just come in and sit beside the end of the couch until she was done listening to her pray. That's how I learned how to pray was being dragged as a little kid to prayer meetings I didn't want to go to and sitting in the seats. And sometimes I was just doodling on a paper or whatever, but I was listening to people pray. I was in the atmosphere of it. I was soaked in it. And that's how I picked up the heart for prayer and to know how important it is and how to pray just by being around people who prayed. Prayer is a pillar of our spiritual life. It is the way that humanity touches heaven and how heaven invades earth. It is that place where heaven becomes our reality. Eternity becomes real to us and we actually live like it matters. 
So why did Jesus make it a priority to pray? Because he was modeling something for us. He was modeling a relationship with the Father. Something that we need to understand and grasp and get a hold of. That when we come to prayer, we're coming into a relationship with him, relying on the Father's will and the Spirit's empowerment to live the life that God is calling us to live. Jesus said, I do only what I see the Father doing. And I say only what I hear the Father saying. The only way that he could say that is if he was continually coming back into that quiet those quiet moments, that solitude of prayer to pick up the heart of the Father. And prayer begins for us when we, become, we come into alignment with the Father. It brings that alignment into our lives and we begin to hear His heart and we begin to exchange our will for His and we begin to pick up a compassion for other people. Our heart breaks for the things that break His heart. And we start to see our world and our reality from His perspective and His eyes. We begin to see things with potential and hope because we're picking up the heart of the Father. How desperately we need that in our world. Richard Foster said, coming to prayer is like coming home. Nothing else feels more right. It's so true. Coming to prayer is coming home. Coming into the presence of Jesus is coming into the place where we were created and designed to be. This fills the gaping hole, the longing in our hearts since the Garden of Eden, that we would be in alignment with the Father, that our spirit would be connected with Him in His presence, and we would be able to hear Him and see Him and sense Him. It is our home base. It's like our soul's native language. To come to prayer should be so easy. It should be so incredibly natural for us. It's the place we were created to be as created beings coming into the presence of our creator who knows us and knows how we work and what's inside of us. What more natural place could we be? But if it's so incredibly natural for us, why is it so hard for us to get there? Why do we avoid it? Why do we have to call it a discipline? Like it's something really difficult we have to do in our life. If we understood the heart of God for us and what we would actually gain by being in that space, I don't think we would necessarily need to call it discipline. It would be a desire. It would be the greatest desire of our heart. It is whether we realize it or not. The greatest longing and desire of our heart is to be in the presence of God. This is why I should never preach without Kleenex close by. That's just a thing. Um, in the presence of God. This is why we whisper prayers in moments like when we stand at the top of mountains. I have had the privilege to stand in some pretty awesome places in the world, in the Rockies, in Whistler, at the top of the mountains there, or in the Swiss Alps, looking out over mountaintops. I can't help when I stand in those places but to whisper a prayer to the Creator at the edge of the Grand Canyon, in the quietness of the redwood forests of California, 
when I've stood in cathedrals in Europe and read, read the inscriptions that it took hundreds of years to build these buildings. Hundreds of years. You know, when we go to do church building plans, we go, I'm doing this for my children. They weren't doing it for their children. They were doing it for generations down the road. They were putting in their labor and their money and their work for something they might never get to see or worship in. And when we stand in those sacred places, how can you help but to whisper a prayer to the living God? When your babies are put in your arms for the first time, we whisper a prayer to God. Thank you. This is incredible. We recognize there's something bigger than ourselves. When I stood, I remember standing. These moments are like so, I was thinking of them, you know, before I came up here, they're so clear to me. When we went to Washington for the first time, my husband and I were just married and we stood at the Jefferson Memorial and I remember reading the inscription about how the forefathers of the Americas had put themselves in the hands of God to begin embarking in the freedom of that country and how far we had come since then. I remember just sitting there with Mark just crying and whispering a prayer to God. That's why our hearts are moved. That's why even people who would say they're not Christians, atheists whisper prayers to God in their most desperate moments. How many desperate prayers have been whispered from accident scenes in hospital rooms and people say, if there is a God, if you see me, if you can hear me, because it's our heart's home. It's where we're meant to be. It's where we're meant to be. David said this in Psalm 27, four, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in the temple. David had found that place of communion with God. He had found the place where his heart was at home and he never wanted to leave. He never wanted to leave that place. Could I just stay here and gaze on your face, on your beauty? Could I just be here in your presence and not have to deal with all of the other things that are out there? This is the most sacred place, the most sacred place that he had found. I don't believe this was a discipline for David. I don't think it was drudgery. Like sometimes we think of this in, in the way of discipline. I think we have a problem with that word. It's so incredibly good for us, but it feels like it's hard and it feels like it's a struggle and it feels like I have to work and put effort in to get there. Do you realize that we waffle as, just as humans, this is really um, like basic for us, but we waffle between desire and discipline. We waffle back and forth in this place. You think about when you first started dating your spouse, you didn't have to put a date night on the calendar. You just wanted to be together all of the time because that desire was there to build relationship. And then you get married and there's responsibilities and cares in life and you add some kids and life gets complicated and there's heavy stuff. And, and you have to put a date night on the calendar, right? But the discipline of doing that leads us back to the place of desire because we sit down together and we go, oh yeah, this is why I love you. This is why we're meant to be together, right? Our hearts connect again. 
We do this with working out and going to the gym. We, we, you know, sometimes we see results and things are going good and we have the desire to go, but there's other days where it's like, I have no desire to go and do that. I know it's gonna be good for me in the end. Do you ever come out of a workout and go, well, that was a complete waste of time? No, at the end of it, you go, that was really good for me. It was good, I know it is, right? And so we, I feel like the discipline is just there to bring us back to the place of desire, that we can't wait to get up tomorrow morning and be in the presence of God again, that I can't wait till I lay my head on my pillow tonight and I'm finally all alone and I can pray again to God that our desire, like David, is to always be in that place, that we find our, that place where our home is at heart. So if we were created for prayer, if our soul thirsts so desperately for this place, why do we avoid it? Why is it so hard? I think it's because of this broken world and the effects of it on our lives. Pastor Andrew was talking in the last couple of weeks about that unholy trinity, culture or the world around us, our flesh and the devil. All three of those things war to keep us out of that place of prayer. They war to keep us out of the presence of God. They actually fight against us getting into that place because the enemy knows if you get into that place and you get familiar with what it feels like to be in the presence of God, your life is gonna begin to be counterformed into the image of Christ and you're gonna start to understand your authority and you're gonna start to exercise that in this world and that scares his pants off. He doesn't want you in that place. And so everything is warring against us to be in that place where we so desperately belong. The presence of God is the place where we begin to be counterformed into the image of Christ. We pick up his heartbeat, his will, his desire for our lives. It's in God's presence that we unburden our hearts, that we listen attentively to his voice and we let him shape and direct our lives. I wonder if when you think about the discipline of prayer or reading the word, if that's hard for you, can you just flip this in your mind for a moment and think about the fact that God made you, formed you. He knows everything about you and he deeply loves you. And when you come into his presence, it isn't like he's disappointed with you because you haven't been here for a while. He's not angry with you. Do you know what? God likes you. I know you know he loves you, but he actually likes you. He wants you to be in his presence. You know, I feel like he's, you, we, we sometimes think he's like distant and aloof and maybe a little angry with us. I feel like he's sitting there like this. He's like, when's she gonna turn around and just notice I'm here? And his face lights up when we come into his presence. He's like, you're here, yay. I get to spend time with you. He's not disappointed, he's not angry. He likes you, he likes you. He loves to be with you. He actually longs for that. He wants to fill you. He knows you can't walk through this life on your own. 
He knows you need his word, his voice, his spirit. He longs for you to come into that place where you can pick that up. I'm gonna talk about three ways that were counterformed through prayer. But really quickly, I wanna share a story with you. I've read this story in several books. Maybe some of you have read it too, but it was profound for me the first time I read it. It's a story of a little boy. Some people say it has to do with Michelangelo as a sculptor. I don't really know if that's true. I can't verify that. It's a story of a little boy who sees a sculptor working on a piece of marble. And the little boy comes by and all he sees is a big slab of marble and this guy with a little chisel chiseling away at it, just chipping away at this huge piece of marble. He has no clue what that's gonna turn into. He comes by a while later and what's beginning to emerge is the form of a lion. And the kid is amazed. He's like, I saw this, it was just a slab of marble and now I see this lion form beginning to come out and the sculptor's still chipping away at it. And the little boy says to the sculptor, how did you know there was a lion in the marble? And the sculptor says, I could see the lion in my heart before I could see it in the marble. That is a beautiful picture of what God sees in you. He sees his image in you. The lion of the tribe of Judah and his form is what God wants to bring out in you. And the truth is, Marble doesn't give way very easily, neither does the human heart. It takes a little bit of work, but all the self-help in the world is never gonna get you there. You need to come into the presence of God and under the careful hand of that master sculptor and allow him to begin to chisel away everything in you that does not conform to the image of God and reveal the lion inside of you. Reveal his image to the world. That's how God wants to work in you. He who created you sees great potential in you. He knows exactly how to work in your life. When we come to prayer, we lay down our own attitudes, we lay down ourselves and we begin to pick up his heart and the work that the spirit wants to do in us. This isn't hard work necessarily. Sometimes it can be, but it's not like drudgery. God is doing a good work in you. He's creating you into his masterpiece. Let him do the work. Come into his presence so he can work in you. What we find when we attune ourselves to the presence of God is that he begins to counterform us in three distinct ways. And I'm just gonna invite Ben to come back up to the keys as we end here sort of on this thought or this note. There's three ways that we are counterformed. The first way is that we begin to understand who God really is. When we get outside of the presence of God and we're listening to the world and we're looking at our disappointments, it's easy for us to think God is a certain way. But when we come into his presence, we can't help but to see him as good and faithful and beautiful and strong and all of those things that we need. So we begin to see God for who he really is. Not who we want him to be, 
not who the world says he is, who he really is. That's the first way that our lives are counterformed. We lay down our perspectives, our hurts, our disappointments, and we begin to just pick up the love of God and let him love us. Our shame melts away. Our guilt melts away. And we understand that we are loved. It is our identity. We are beloved children of God. The second thing that happens in the presence of God is that when we begin to see who He really is, we also begin to see who we really are. We see our brokenness, we see our weakness and our humanity. We begin to see how, how pale our comparison is to Him. We start to see the areas of our life that don't measure up to what He wants for us and His will for us begin to be revealed. We begin to see those areas where we don't look like the lion, the areas where He needs to be chiseling in our life and working on us. So we see God for who He really is. We see ourselves for who we really are and what needs to be changed. We get the power there to be able to make those changes, to do what God wants us to do. And then the third thing that happens in the presence of God that changes us is we begin to see our world for what it really is. We see God for who He really is. We see ourselves for who we really are. No more walls, no more pretenses, no more false self. You can't pretend to be anything with God. Can I just tell you that? You gotta be real with Him. He can only meet you in the place where you are real and honest about your own life. And then we begin to pick up His heart for the world. We begin to see our world through His eyes and His perspective, through the lens of eternity. We start to realize we're only here for a really short time. And maybe the things that we think matter don't really matter all of that much. And maybe we need to give a little more grace and a little more love and compassion begins to rise up in us for the people in our lives and the circumstances that they're walking through. Here are some different prayers that go along with each of those. In the first one, when we begin to realize who God is, we are called to, to praise like we were doing today. When we see God for who He is, we can't help but praise His name. We can't help but worship Him. And we are called to prayers of adoration and gratitude towards Him. These are all different types of prayer. We begin to meditate on His word and on His goodness. So meditation becomes a part of that. When we begin to see ourselves in His presence and we see our brokenness, we are moved to repentance and forgiveness for others. We are moved to prayers of petition. We see our need and we're asking God to fill our need. And when we're humble before God, we also move into prayers of spiritual authority and warfare. We begin to exercise that in our life. And when we realize the world around us, we're moved to intercession, to prayer for other people, to bringing them before the Lord, to pray for our leaders. Do you know one of the biggest reasons you need to pray for your leaders is not because you think they're doing a bad job, but because they are accountable to a living God. And the Bible says they will be held accountable for how they lead us. And it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of God if you have not surrendered yourself to His will. 
That should move us to compassion to pray for the people who lead us. Not to be angry because we think they're doing poorly, but to be moved with compassion because they will have to answer to God. That's what happens. Our perspectives shift. We change when we come into the presence of God and we are formed into the image of Christ. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me here at the end as we just close out the service today. Maybe in the middle of this message, you're sensing that maybe you need to set a regular time to come into the presence of God. Maybe that hasn't been a habit for you like it was for Jesus. Maybe you need to get that back in your calendar. Maybe you need to set an alarm on your phone. Maybe several times a day you could set an alarm on your phone. You know what the simplest part of prayer is? Three things. I don't know if you were taking notes today, but three things I want you to walk out of this place with today. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keep it simple. God said, you don't need a lot of elaborate words. Don't babble on like the Gentiles do. He said, I don't need all your words. I already know what's in your heart. Keep it simple. Do you know what the simplest part of prayer is? Is that our attention is turned to the one whose attention is always on us. That we just turn and recognize that God is always watching over us. That is the simplest part of prayer. Keep it real. Like I said, no pretenses, no walls, no preconceived ideas. Just be real in the presence of God. Say what's on your heart. Let Him speak to you and keep it up. Put it on your calendar. Make a date with God if you need to, but do it regularly. Just close your eyes. Father, I just thank you for this word today. I thank you for that place of prayer, the place where our heart finds its home. I pray that you would rejuvenate in us that desire to come into your presence, that desire to realign ourselves with you every single day. I pray that as we maybe make that alarm today or put it in our calendar or set that few minutes aside, that you would be so close and meet us in that space. I pray that for every person who is maybe scared or avoiding the place of prayer, for every person who feels guilt or shame and has a hard time coming into the presence of God, I pray those things would just melt away even right now in your presence. And that we would be able to see you as the loving God the one who actually likes us and wants to be with us. And I just pray that you would challenge our hearts in different ways that we can be formed by prayer and continue to pray to see your hand move in our world. In your name we pray, amen.